Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 166. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Beauty and the Beast, and we are so happy to have our dear friend, Christina Kay, back on Monorail Radio. Christina, it's been a few years, but we are so happy to have you back. I have been waiting 166 episodes for this movie. (laughs) I am very excited to be here. (laughs) I might actually get to talk tonight, because... We'll see. Yeah, because for those who have been with us for a while, you will remember Christina and Jackie's conversation of Frozen, and I was kind of just here. You mean Adina? Yeah, so I was kind of just here for that. But I'm I'm hoping I can at least interject something useful in this episode. Okay, so we're at 30 years. Did I'm going to start with you, Christina. Did you see this in in the movie theater? If you did, what was it like for you to see this movie? It was my very first movie in a movie theater ever, 30 years ago. That was the first one. I know I was young, but I do remember it. And I remember it just kind of like, not to sound dramatic, but it changed my life. A lot of people say that. And Jackie, and I, I, I know it wasn't your first movie. That was Little Mermaid. But I would imagine that this kind of had a very similar effect for you. Absolutely. Uh, Definitely saw it in a movie theater with my family. And what I remember most from Beauty and the Beast is actually the soundtrack more than anything else. Yes! We watched it all the time on VHS when it came out. I mean, not to date myself, but the movie's 30 years old, so here we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my, my grandparents used to live in New Jersey, so anytime we would go to visit them, this was what my family was listening to in the car. And when I tell you, all four of us, mom, dad, brother, and myself, knew every single word on that soundtrack, we would sing it verbatim. The first time I saw it was on VHS. My grandmother had rented it because she actually wanted to watch it. And it should come as no surprise to anybody that I did not like this when I saw it the first time because I was a five-year-old boy, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, as a five-year-old boy, this was not... I wasn't... I don't think, even now, re-watching it now, I kind of see as a five-year-old boy where I was not really the target demographic for a movie like Beauty and the Beast. But you were—you didn't see like Gaston and be like, he's awesome, I want to be him. Or you didn't see like the enchanted objects and be like, that's cool. I thought that they were funny enough. But remember, at age five, I'm watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hulk Hogan's The Greatest Thing Walking the Face of the Earth. Roger Rabbit Roger was Rabbit, definitely your thing. That, well, 100%. Roger Rabbit was my Disney movie. But yeah. even Lumiere, like, yeah. there, I feel like Lumiere was the neutral ground for everyone. Now, it, it wasn't doing it for me at the age of five. At the age okay, of well, 35, it's very different. Thank you for playing. <laughs> Christina and I are going to take it from here. I mean, I'm five years old. Michael Keaton is Batman. And Danny DeVito is the penguin. You know, like these movies all came out around the same time. But you didn't see like the mob song and be like, kill the beast. And as a five-year-old boy, you're like, that's so cool. Like, yeah, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that that's how you thought I sounded at the age of five. Yeah, just like that. It was just like that verbatim. Um, LeFou? Like, not even for the comic relief? It's just, nah. You're a weird kid, man. The important thing is 35, we love it. We've seen the light. 35. Totally different set of eyes. But my question is, does the movie hold up? Right? 
100% yes. And I think that's what we are here to discuss today. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co. and shop for straw charms and recently added holiday ornaments. After a selfish prince rejects the gift of a rose, an enchantress transforms the prince into a beast while also transforming his servants into household items. She places a curse on the rose and states that if he can't find love and learn to love another by the time the last petal falls, he will remain a beast forever. Years later, we meet Belle, a bookworm and daughter of the inventor Maurice. She is also the romantic interest of the town brute Gaston, although the... Uh, feeling is not exactly mutual. Maurice leaves the town to go to a fair to sell his latest invention, but becomes lost and winds up at the Beast's castle, where he is imprisoned for trespassing. When his horse arrives home without him, Belle becomes alarmed and eventually tracks him down. She offers to trade places with Maurice, so the Beast releases him and imprisons Belle. Belle becomes friends with Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Potts, and her son Chip. These are all household items, and they treat her as their guest as opposed to the Beast's prisoner. When Belle finds the for uh, the forbidden West Wing, the Beast drives her out of the castle. As a pack of wolves surround her, the Beast rescues her, but is badly injured. She nurses him back to health, and over time, a romance develops. Maurice, uh, Maurice arrives home, but no one believes his story. Gaston convinces the Warden to put Maurice into an asylum as leverage to get Belle to marry him, but Maurice instead heads back into the woods to rescue Belle by himself. After sharing a dance, the Beast shows Belle a magic mirror that will show her her father. They see that he is struggling in the woods, so the Beast releases her to save him and gives her the mirror as a gift. They arrive back in town and Belle shows everyone the Beast through the mirror. Realizing she loves the Beast, Gaston locks her and Maurice in a basement and sets off with the other townsfolk to kill the Beast. The House and all of the household items start to fight back as the angry mob arrives. Brel, uh, Belle breaks out of the basement with the help of Chip, who had stowed away with her and Maurice. They head back to the castle where the Beast is immediately thrilled to see that Belle has come back for him, but it is at that moment that Gaston stabs the Beast. Gaston also then falls off the castle to his death. The Beast dies as well, just as the last petal falls. Belle admits that she loves the Beast, tells him that she loves him, and a single teardrop falls on his body, bringing him back to life, breaking the curse, transforming him back to human, as well as the household items. From the Rip... What I really appreciate now that you're ne you're never going to appreciate it as a five year old, the pacing from the minute they jump into the story is spectacular. What really surprises me about this one is that they didn't start on a book and they didn't do it with Mermaid either, even though they were adaptations. But almost every other one, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Jungle Book, they all start with that classic book on the blue velvet. And I guess in the eighties and nineties they stopped. 
Well, you know why the intro is the way the intro is, and it kind of ties in with the music of it, but they didn't know how to start this movie. They knew the story, and they kind of were just playing around with it, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, and they said, we want to open up with a big musical number, but it's never been done. Because even in, like, The Little Mermaid, you have, like, the Daughters of Triton thing, but it's, like, a little frou-frou thing. It's not a big number. Right. This is, like, a five-minute-plus musical Broadway-style number. And Disney at the time was looking to take chances, and they went into the meeting, they pitched the song, and Disney said that's what they're looking for. So, I mean, it's a bigger story than that, but they took a chance with this, and I think that's one of the movies that's the most memorable because of that. Absolutely, and I think that's where, even though they went out on a limb with a six-minute number, you have to listen. This is why you brought these two onto this project, because originally they weren't going to do it as a musical. Mm -hmm. It was just going to be a straight... Yeah, exactly. But you bring Howard Ashman onto a project, you're going to listen to what he has to say. Well, I think that was the thing, right? Like Howard Ashman had said that the movie initially kind of read like they were doing masterpiece theater. I mean, there's that story of, we're not going to just scrap an entire movie and start over again. And Jeffrey Katzenberg was the one that said, we're just going to scrap it and start it all over again. So I think starting with that stained glass and telling you, like the story of the Enchantress and moving through it so quickly. What I love about it is that they tell you everything that you need to know. They don't waste time on useless backstory because I think if you're going to, we're, we're going to talk next week about the live action film. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But like, obviously they stretched a lot of things out there. This was one thing they didn't need to stretch out. I'm glad that they didn't in the animated film because they really do a great job of telling you everything that you need to know and then getting you into that little provincial town. I agree. I think that the stained glass is the condensed version of that masterpiece theater that we would have seen. Um, But I'm glad that they kept it in, though, because it's just so beautiful. And that's one of those things, and I I don't want to hate on the the uh, live action do too it, hard because it, that's what next week is for <laughs> but it would not be the same mm-hmm. and i'm sure they would have cgi'd them had they kept the stained glass like there there's something that's so gorgeous about somebody had to painstakingly yes. paint these it's the simplicity of it because you get yes. like very ahead of its time in the ballroom scene going further in the movie but the simplicity of it mixed with the score and just like the narration the voiceover it's a perfection is the Beast a character who you feel bad for from the jump? Or is this something that needs to get fleshed out over the course of the film? I have mixed emotions about it. I was always team the prince is a brat. But I think after seeing it a couple times, even as a kid, I recognized if we're go if we're sticking with the timeline if you actually do the math on it he was 11 years old when this happened because it's 10 years that the curse has been in place on this castle and he has to break it before his 21st birthday so a 10 year old or i'm sorry an 11 year old orphan who doesn't have his parents present to teach him right from wrong and is being raised by the castle staff i mean really he doesn't know any better And you don't realize that until a couple of viewings. And then, you know, obviously the Beast just gives you a whole different appreciation for this poor kid. 
it's a realistic thing though because like i went to private school and i knew so many kids that had all this money you think they had everything but they were brats and then when you learn about their family they never see their parents so like i related to that as a kid like i i think it's very related i mean it's symbolism and everything but i think for disney that was very well done the way they did that and then we get introduced to Belle, our leading lady pretty much immediately she is so different right from any disney and I, I kind of even struggle with calling her a disney princess because she does obviously she she gets together with the prince at the end of the movie and she yeah i mean by default becomes a princess but she's like almost in so many ways the anti-disney princess i feel like that's something that gets lost now because we have princesses and queens like anna elsa raya even moana who are very very strong yeah, Mulan, right? First, yes. Yeah. You could argue that it was Ariel, but Ariel was 16. And we even said this. I mean, that was our first episode when we did Little Mermaid. Looking back, she comes off as kind of bratty at 16 years old. Like, she knows better than everyone. But you start getting that idea of a headstrong princess. To me, Belle is the OG in that regard because she's well-read. She knows what she wants. Uh... And she's really the first one that wasn't going to take anybody's crap. Yeah, she was like growing up as a girl in the 90s. She was my role model. And like growing up as a girl with brown hair who like was very like studious, like who was independent, like a dreamer, broke out into song occasionally. That was my role model. <laughs> How many years running were you her for Halloween? It's not important. It's not, <laughs> it's not important that I own to this day all of her dresses but the pink one. Like the green one, got it. I almost wore it today. If I didn't have work before this, <laughs> I would be in it now. Like she, I, I don't know. Like I, I just, that sticks with me. Like the first memory of watching her in the big screen, like, I, I want to be her. I used to carry around a book all the time and break out into Belle. Like, I, that was, that was my girl. I, I still am Belle. I get paid to be Belle now. Like, that's my thing. <laughs> so we meet her right away, and then we meet the townsfolk, right? And we'll talk about the music in a little while here, but through that song and, and through just the way that it's animated, the, like, the kind of side-eye looks that she get, and they kind of roll her eyes at her. What the opening of this film does so beautifully is not only does it develop her quickly, we've never seen her before, we don't know anything about her, but we know everything about her at the exact same time, and in the same breath, they do the same thing with the rest of the town, which I think is just so brilliant, and it's it's a mix of good screenwriting, because they do come in and out of the song, because... It is like a six-minute song to open the movie. So they're coming in and out of song, in and out of dialogue. So it's kind of like you're just checking all of these boxes to develop the... Really, you're developing the entire cast. Right, because it's not just Belle. It's also Gaston. And yes. this is where Howard Ashman gets executive producer credit. I'm not saying that he deserves it. I'm saying he actually got it. Because this man understood musicals so well and how the song relates to the story... This was all him developing these characters within the first six minutes. Absolutely. And I, I love Belle, but the Gaston part gives me all the feels, too. And then when they start going back and forth at the end of the number, oh, I mean, I'm a Broadway person, but that was like my introduction, I feel, to a Broadway like opening number. And I compare it to everything this day. Like, to this day, I do. Yeah, I mean, he is so perfectly dislikable 
from the minute he comes on the screen. But also not at the same time. Like, a part of you is like, oh, I hate him, but I also love him. You know you're not supposed to like him, yeah. but there's something intriguing about the him. The lovable villain. Like, there's a lot of lovable villains out there, but to me, he was my first, like, I love that I hate him. You know? Like, I hate that I love him. He's the winner of the Nobel Prize. Nobel Prize, yep. <laughs> he, you know what he reminds me of, actually, is Judge Doom. It's the same thing, because Doom is he's a villain that you absolutely love. Ursula is a villain that you absolutely love. Well, like Darth Vader is even that way. Yeah, know? like Disney, you know, the later Star Wars, yes, but Disney has done such a good job historically with taking villains and not just making them dislikable for the sake of. They're villains that in a kind of weird way you connect to and you sort of root for them. And I think that Gaston is certainly on that list. To me, I mean, he doesn't have the same panache that other villains of this era do, like an Ursula or like a Jafar. But what, I, I mean, I can't say that I love to hate Gaston, but what is so intriguing to me is that you just can't imagine what stupid thing he is going to do next because he is so disillusioned in his pursuit of Belle. And shout outs to Disney too, because I think in the parks, he is the best villain to meet because he is so on point Gaston, like the one arm push-ups. We've all seen the videos of him doing that. Like, how do you not love that? But don't touch him. Don't touch any of the characters. Don't flirt with the princesses. Don't, Pinch Gaston's chest. Be nice. They are still people. This ha- it's still is harassment. This, thing? this is fresh. You got to is- get on TikTok, my friend. I, I, at the age of 35, I <laughs> swear to you, it's I everywhere. do not need it's to get on TikTok. It started on TikTok. Yeah. It bled over to Instagram. I will send you the video. But Gaston, he, he handled himself. I, I give a lot of credit to this yeah. cast member. Good for him. Yeah, he's always a really good one. Like, he's... he's always like even just walking around by gaston's tavern in the park yeah. like he's just always so like i'm not gonna call him endearing but he's just got he's so much he per- he's, he's got is. so much personality I mean, even the cavalcade they're doing right now with him riding on the horse and he's like yes. looking at the people and giving them the thumbs up he's like, i see you looking at me like he's perfect <laughs> i mean he is the guy right and w- like we all know that guy from high school that is still wearing his letterman's jacket right that's that's a hundred percent Gaston, and I think that's part of what makes him such a, such a great villain. And I think this is what makes him like such a memorable introduction. Is everybody knows Gaston somewhere? Everybody knows who he is. But that's the thing about this movie: the characters are so out there. But when you like really break it down, they're all so relatable. You know a Belle, you know a Gaston. The enchanted objects, even I, the beast. I mean, it's very really. You don't know like a beast, like an actual beast, but do you? You know. What I love too, and you hit on this before, is that when they do the opening number in Little Mermaid, it is populated with quite a few people, but it's all wide shots. You don't really get in depth with all these individual characters, whereas here in the town, you do. You're meeting all these people as you're going through. But I love how they paint Gaston as a local celebrity and you believe it even though you don't know anything else about this world you know that he's this hometown hero and until you get to the castle then you realize that he doesn't mean anything he's no one and you know what the really great thing about him too is in spite of the fact that these two films came out so like the 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 the, i mean there's generation gap really between 
Ichabod and Mr. Toad and Beauty and the Beast. But there was a real trap that Disney could have set for themselves where Gaston comes out too much like Brom Bones. And they, but the, but the, the two characters, they're so similar, and yet at the same time, they're absolutely nothing alike. Which I think, again, is, is a credit to the screenwriting. Let's talk about Maurice, because we meet him next. Let's talk about his introduction. It's fine. Oh, oh. It's fine. <laughs> um, again, I think this is probably the one area that I that to this day I don't necessarily connect with. It's not that I have an I, I like Maurice just fine. But as a five year old, I, I looked at him and I'm like, so you're Doc Brown. You're Doc Brown. And like I guess that's just been the one sticking point where I watch him and I'm like, yeah, you're Doc Brown. I watch him and I'm like, you're my grandpa. Like I connected on that level. I was like my grandpa would always try to come up with like games and like create stuff for us as a kid. So, and he kind of looked like him. So I thought, Oh, grandpa, like that's, I don't know. I have a total different approach to me. I sort of wish they had rounded out Maurice a little bit more because I feel like his character is more speaking to Belle's character because she's the caretaker in this relationship, even though he's older. Um, but Doc Brown is such an interesting observation. Like, of course you would you would see that in him. But also he's a parent and Disney doesn't focus a lot on the parents when you think about it. So I well, feel he's like he's alive. Like, that's what I'm saying. For the parent, he's got a lot of credit for Disney when you think about it. That is true. A lot of credit, a lot of screen time. Yeah. He even I mean, he manages to go off into the woods on his own and they didn't kill him. Maurice is actually pretty badass when you think about it he survived i would like to meet maurice in the parks i'm just saying disney like him and the sultan like can we make that happen thank you what great rare characters they would be maybe for next disney plus day so i think he but with, with that being said i think it's still a good introduction to him and i like that same thing keeping up with this pacing they immediately push him off to this fair because it would make sense that he's this very eccentric inventor. He's got this wood chopping machine that he's developed. He's trying to take first prize at the fair. Obviously, that's how they're making their money. That's how they're making their ends meet. And, and everybody just kind of looks at him as a kook. But but this is like, no, this time I'm finally going to get it, which is why it's Doc Brown. But it's like now it's like this, okay, I'm finally going to get it right. It, all of it makes sense. Like, I don't feel like putting him in the position where he's got to go to this fair and get lost in the woods is out of place. Yeah. I would agree. The only thing that I wish they had done a little bit more is develop the timeline of when Belle and Maurice arrived in this town because she confides in him that she's not really fitting in and he's pushing, Oh, what about Gaston? You know, he wants to find her a match. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't really know I mean, obviously, okay, they need money, fine. So he's got to go to this fair. He's got to win the contest with his invention. But I just think a little bit more development of of why they need... I'm not saying we need to see them in dire straits, but I just feel like a little bit more of a timeline of when they got to this town and how long they've been struggling in, 
you know, g- give us a sense of urgency with with him needing to win and, and putting himself in peril for the sake of going to this convention. I would love to see Disney on Disney Plus, since you just mentioned that, do a short about that, like the beginning, like a, like a five-minute prequel of Maurice and Belle. That would be really cool. And instead, we're getting a guest on in LeFou spinoff. But I'm excited about that one. Yeah, not going to lie. <laughs> Josh Gad. That more was... Josh Gad all the time. I know you're doing the live action next week, but that was the best part of that movie, so I'm fine with that. So. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that as well. So. Now, Maurice is lost. He finds his way to this castle. He kind of just willingly willingly walks right in. Because he's a good person. And, like, almost sees nothing wrong with the fact that these household items are just talking to him. But it's such a great reveal. It is. Like, even though we know what happened from the stained glass windows, we still haven't really seen this yet. We've seen the beast. We've seen him tear up his own picture. We haven't seen these objects yet. No. It is the best reveal, I I dare say, in the entire Disney canon. Except for Rise of the Resistance, but that's a different story. So here's the thing. Maurice seems like somebody that is used to talking to candles and clocks. So <laughs> Relatable. So I, I kind of see where this is not outside the norm for him. Yeah. But what happens next is you get the beast that imprisons him for trespassing. You know, not something stupid like stealing a flower. He, but I feel like the punishment still doesn't fit the crime here. I can't say that if someone, if I just walked into my kitchen and found somebody sitting there talking to my candlestick, I'm not sure <laughs> that I wouldn't be pretty furious. Now imagine you're a beast on top of it. You got that pent up anger. And I got a dungeon. Yeah. I mean, I got a, I paid, I got a dungeon. I better use it. I mean. And he's sort of frozen in time as an 11-year-old, so I, I will give you that one. But I forever, that's a long time. It's a little dramatic. Yes. We've all had those moments, though. I mean. <laughs> I had three people today I dealt with that I would throw into a dungeon forever. Relatable. To be fair, though, I, I guess what I'm not thinking, like, what is the beast going to do? Call the cops? No. <laughs> right. Yeah, these are the he's going to call Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it, what I really like about the scene other than putting Belle in a position where she eventually is going to come here, it further makes you question whether or not you can root for this beast. Mm-hmm. He, like, he is such a mysterious character from the start because, to your point, he's a bratty child. You don't necessarily feel for him. Um, but now you're really conflicted because this is the first time that you're seeing the servants as household objects. You know that they are just innocent bystanders at this point, but then the beast does nothing to do himself any favors in regards to making him a character that you have sympathy for. And it just continues to build the mystery and it sort of continues to kind of give you the internal struggle of who am I rooting for in this situation? And here's the other great thing about, I don't want to say holding Maurice captive because, as I said, and I will stand by it, the punishment doesn't necessarily fit the crime. You're talking about the pacing of the movie. They do such a great job of cutting back and forth between the castle and the town. So while Maurice is locked away, you did have to get him out of town for more than just entering this contest because now Gaston is using this opportunity to propose to Belle. How presumptuous. Well, I guess that's the thing, right? Like, and you see it earlier in the movie, there is not a woman in this town that is going to reject him 
except the one that he's trying to marry. But that's why he wants her. He does not love Belle. He She's loves a the pursuit. Prize. Yes. He loves the idea of her. Exactly. But to set up a whole wedding, like how forceful. It's looking at that now, like you thought it was funny when you were a kid that he falls on his face and literally ends up in the mud. Looking at that now, I am so uncomfortable. That he jumps right into it. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting scene for sure. No, and he lets himself in the house and she's all alone. Like, that's what I'm saying. You gave And he tells her they're going to have seven children. I'm saying it's very uncomfortable and Maurice is never coming back. So she she really is all by herself in this situation. But, it's uncomfortable. But she like that's when you're like, you go, girl, because she like even though he's doing all this stuff, the way she handles herself, she figured yes. it out real quick. Yes. Well, and this is where Belle is so different from so many other Disney princesses, because when we did Little Mermaid all those years ago, I said that. What was so endearing about Ariel is that she was the Gen X Disney princess. And I still think that that's true. But ultimately, she's willing to turn her back on everything for a prince. Because she wants legs, and she wants to be up on the shore, and she wants to be with the prince. This is such a unique Disney princess because she's the one that is pushing back against trying to land what is considered to be the prince. Well, it's not just about what Ariel wants. She still needs her prince. She needs a kiss to break the spell. Mm -hmm. Belle needs none of that. She needs to be left alone, and she gets it done. And I think Belle paved the way for other princesses going forward, like Jasmine and Pocahontas. If it wasn't for Belle and the success of Belle, would you have those characters? Right, because at the time that this is going on, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman were pitching Aladdin, Mm -hmm. and... Howard Ashman knew that he was sick. That was like his passion project. He really wanted to get it done. Um, And that's what they were working on, but they brought them on to CPR this project because the story just wasn't working. So at the time, you didn't necessarily know if the success of Little Mermaid was a fluke or not, and if another strong princess movie was going to work. But I think it's to their credit that this was so successful. And it wasn't just capturing lightning in a bottle once with Mermaid. They were able to recreate it in a different way. I would love to see, like, you know how they have the Waking Sleeping Beauty documentary? I would love to see a more in-depth one on Beauty and the Beast. And I'm not just saying that because it's my favorite, but it really did set the stage for not only Disney movies going forward, but a lot of movies going forward. Right, because they do focus on Beauty and the Beast in Howard doc- in the Howard documentary, but it's still not... Just the music. Yeah, yeah. about the making. I, I wish they would do an entire series, even if it's just three parts of the Ashman and Mencken era. Yes, I'm for that. Well, you know that they've got the footage in the archive. I mean, we've seen it now in two different documentaries that Don Hahn has made. So there's no reason to believe that they couldn't do an entire series for sure. No, I said it on our last episode. Even if you don't think documentaries are your thing, it's worth watching Howard just to see the behind the scenes of when they get Be Our Guest and like they know it's a hit. I don't see, I'm not a big documentary person, but I'm such a sucker for these because they're more like, like it's like an E.T. Hollywood story, not a documentary to me. I don't know. And it's also, it's an easy watch because you know they're going to win. Yeah. Well, not unfortunately, not necessarily Howard, but like as far as the company, as far as making a good movie, you know that they have the win. Howard's story is very sad, but you you know that as far as the movie goes, it's going to work out okay. For sure. So now we get Belle 
in the Beast Castle because Maurice's horse comes back. Maurice is not there. Philippe, he has a name. Philippe. So underrated character. Oh, just exhibit A. They're here. We did not plan that. That was exactly in unison. This is the first time I've ever wished that we're on YouTube. Because the look that I got from both of you just now, actually, like for a moment, I feared Dara for my I feared for my existence <laughs> in a way that I haven't felt since Frozen. So oh, we get her now, and in I honestly, I think what is the signature moment for her in the movie? I don't even think the signature moment comes in be our guest. I don't think the signature moment comes from something there. I think the signature moment for Belle is here, where without hesitation, she's like, I'll change places. Bravery. That's something that wasn't shown in a lot of movies with females. Bravery. And I think, but, you know, if you have not fallen in love with this character up to this point, you're you're just not going to. This is also what really separates her from Ariel, because Ariel, it's, I want my prince, and that's the end of it. She just wants this romance with Belle, you know, she's completely selfless in this moment. It's such a great moment. And even the beast is taken aback. But I think even you as the viewer, in a way, are kind of taken aback. And and Maurice is telling her, I've lived my life. Just leave me here. You've got a whole life ahead of you. And like, she does not care. Especially because this is also coming off of her I Want song. And she's just sung about, I want bigger, oh, I want better. I and now surprise. she's willing, oh, it's so good. <sighs> but she's willing to, to lock herself away in exchange of her father's freedom. So now, we again, with the pacing, this movie is really, really quick. They don't waste time, which you can maybe debate whether this was the right move or not. They don't waste time introducing the idea that perhaps she is the one that's going to break the spell. Because I know that they're trying to get you moving quickly. They don't want to waste a lot of time with useless dialogue and useless backstory. But I think if there's one place in this movie where they could have let it breathe a little bit, this is probably the one place. Because she has been here in this castle for less than 10 minutes and Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts, they don't know her from Adam. And they're like, she could be the one. She could be the one to break the spell. And like immediately is like in his ear, invite her to dinner, give her a room, don't leave her in the dungeon. And he he kind of just goes along with it. You could tell that he's not 100% on it. I felt like this could have given, there could have been a little bit more breathing room because it seems, it, it kind of seems like they just, rushed into it almost like it's not so much that they believe that she could break the spell so much as it is that they are just grasping at straws because they want this over the last petal's gonna fall man they have to i mean i disagree with you actually there is one moment when bell is getting ready to to make the exchange and she asks him to come into the light and he looks at her and it's in a split second he's looking at her and you can tell that he's hopeful in that moment and just like that it goes away because he doesn't dare get his hopes up the rest of them sure they're all excited because she meets the criteria of she's a girl Mm -hmm. and he has the capacity to fall for her and that's where 
Mrs. Potts and Cogsworth and Lumiere are just so brilliant because they're acting as the wingmen for the entire rest of the film, and the comedic relief is so brilliant. But I don't think it needed to breathe because I think that one look from the beast says everything that you needed to know because he's just too afraid to get his hopes up. And again, he's still like an 11-year-old child. He, it's it's weird every time you say that. Like, I know this, but like I haven't said that out loud, you know? So it's like, oh, yeah, it just took a different turn, huh? But it is a very childlike way of looking at it, right? Like, yeah. he's got a little crush on her at first, and then he's like, no, it's never going to happen. I can't. Yeah. I can't even believe in this. That's a good point. So they immediately get her a proper room. She's not going to spend any time in the dungeon. And he tells her right away, you can go anywhere but the West Wing. So we know she's going to go find that West Wing. Um, and then you have this, I mean, obviously, be our guest. Again, we're going to talk about the music in, in, in a few minutes here. But you, you get this really wonderful scene where the household items, you could tell, like, be our guest is not just about we want a song and dance. It's that they do live to serve, yeah. but they haven't served anybody but a master in the longest time. So, like, they're just excited to be able to entertain again. But even before Be Our Guest, where she's crying in the room and then you get the wardrobe and, the, like, you get all these moments and you're like, maybe this place is different. Maybe there's, like, there's life here. And I just, like, every time you get introduced to a new character, it's, like, hope. I don't know. It's cool for me, I've, even to this day. I love that. I mean, she's not in that room for two seconds before Mrs. Potts has tea ready yes. to go for her. I want that. Well, the, the introduction to all of these characters is great. And I think I think one character that at times, it's kind of crazy to say this out loud, but I think Cogsworth gets forgotten about because people think about Lumiere and Be Our Guest and they think about Mrs. Potts singing uh, Beauty and the Beast. I think that sometimes you forget about him. And I think part of that is just because anytime you have a Disney fireworks show, we got back from a trip, you were just yeah. on a trip, who do you see in a castle projection show? Who do you hear in a fireworks show? You hear Lumiere and you hear Mrs. Potts. It's not often that you see or hear Cogsworth. And I feel like because so many people grasp on to these live shows, other than the Beauty and the Beast live show at MGM, I think that Cogsworth sometimes is forgotten about. I wish we had the YouTube again so you could see the looks on our faces. No, Cogsworth has all the lines in this movie. Yeah, see, I kind of lump them together. It's always Cogsworth and Lumiere. Not For really sure. like so much Lumiere or Cogsworth on their own. It's the duo. And I think that's like an, one of the iconic duos. I don't disagree with you, but I just think that when when you when if if I said to you, if I if I took a hundred people, let's say we're at the Magic Kingdom, I took a hundred people and I pull them aside and I go. Name me a character from Beauty and the Beast that's not Belle the Beast or Gaston. I don't think Cogsworth is going to get named. Mrs. Potts. Mrs. Potts because, and you know Lumiere. Why? Because people don't know if they're pronouncing Lumiere and Cogsworth right. Because they say Clocksworth or the Candlestick. Like, I do. I hear what you're saying, though, because Lumiere is one of those characters like Tinkerbell, like Winnie the Pooh, that sort of transcends their film and is such a big representation of the park. So I will absolutely give you that one. But... I never forget Cogsworth in this movie. I agree with you that they're a package deal. I think they're a better bromance than yeah. Gaston and LeFou. Um, 
But I think a lot of it comes from the highbrow dialogue from Cogsworth. And I think a lot of that was improvised. Well, that's the thing. You remember the songs that Lumiere sings, but I don't remember as much of his lines as I do Cogsworth's lines. He's got Bingo. a lot of great lines in that movie. Yeah, understated. Yeah. I, I think a hundred percent understated. If it's not broke, don't that, fix it. That whole scene, that whole dialogue of his, I love it. Scene, love it. Where he's like, you get chocolates, like all that, like it's, uh, promises you don't yeah, even dig. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> brilliant. And and the look, right? I mean, they yes. all look great. Yes. His look in particular, though, I absolutely love. When they have the uh, with the hands of the clock of the mustache, like everything about him is great. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I just wonder. Like like you said, people remember the lines, they remember the comedy, but I, to your point, I think they don't always recognize who it was that said it. I agree. And then, you know, you've got all that going on, and it totally distracts you from the subplot, because they're cutting back and forth with the town, mm. and Gaston has obviously, you know, made his pledge of, I'm going to have Belle. But I feel like this sort of gets lost because obviously you have the catchy tavern number. He is setting up Maurice to be locked away so that he can pursue Belle. And I feel like by the time we get to Maurice's eventual capture for the asylum, you sort of forget that it was all a setup because he's ranting and raving about the beast and Gaston has painted him as a crazy person. But you kind of lose how deep of a villain Gaston actually is because he's orchestrating the whole thing. You know he's going to pursue the beast. You know he's going to try to kill him. But I think that's where the villain ends with most people. And they're not thinking about this part, that he's willing to eliminate Belle's father yeah. so that he can have her. Well, it's funny because that, that whole number goes from, man, I love Gaston after the Gaston number to then we're talking about an asylum be like what are you doing there pal i just like got this new love for you and now you just took a really dark turn for a disney movie too right yes. and i think that's where gaston in this in that scene in particular and really for the rest of the movie i feel like he's again another character that's not appreciated for how calculated he yeah. really is because people love him for being the cheese ball they think he's dumber than he is, too. Exactly. Yeah, yes. And in that scene, it shows that, you know what? Mm -hmm. He's a meathead, but he's not stupid. And everything that he's done, he's doing so that he leverages what he wants. And I don't think he's ever given the credit for being as diabolical as he truly is in that moment. Which it's just so funny that he likes a girl like Belle because she's the total opposite. She just did this whole, like, selfish thing, and he's being nothing but no, selfless. Now he's being nothing but selfish. But maybe that is where it is a little bit something more with Belle, where it's not just about the pursuit. Maybe he does think that he met his match because you've yeah. got all these girls that are fawning all over him that he can have in two seconds. Because in the beginning, when he's really going after her, you forget how intelligent he is. And maybe there is a little bit more to their relationship than initially meets the eye because he thinks that he has met his intellectual match. So... We get through all of that, right? And now Belle finds the West Wing. Mm -hmm. And the Beast chases, he chases her out. Mm -hmm. Casts her out. Which within itself is sort of strange because he wants to keep her captive because they haven't developed feelings yet and now at the same time he chases her out of the castle. When you were a kid and someone went into your room, like your parents, and you wanted them out, like, I, that's how I interpret it. Like, get out, like, this is mine, this is mine. Go. Like, and it's to your point, he's still uh, he's 11, still 11 yeah. years old. 
I mean, again, it escalates very quickly, much like, you know, capturing Maurice. But as you just said, yeah, that you can attribute that to him thinking like an 11 year old. Um, but that was the one thing that never jived with me, even as a kid, is you just went through all this trouble to capture her. Then you make nice by giving her a room and trying to invite her to dinner, even though those weren't your ideas and you were sort of forced into doing it. I just never understood why he would be so quick to kick her out when, okay, she almost destroyed the rose and that would have been real bad for you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she's also the only one who can break the spell. Because if this is how you're going to treat people, no one is ever going to get close to you, obviously. And that goes beyond just your looks. She's the first person to come near you. You got to grab her and hold on tight. But I don't know. I'm like a big symbolism person. So I take this as he doesn't trust her yet. He hasn't built that trust yet. So this is like it's getting really bad before that moment where he can trust her. That's a great point. So now we get to the point where basically he can trust her because we get right into that too. Where now here come the wolves and he's going to step in and he's going to protect her. And she's got to basically nurse him back to health. And they kind of, I don't want to say that it's quick. I think if there's, if I have any question about the timeline, because I've talked about how good the pacing has been, you you don't really know what the passage of time here is. Actually, you do. Um, well, first, I love this scene. I love a lot about it because... She proves that she can stand on her own until she's outnumbered by the wolves. But she holds her own pretty good until the beast gets there. Then when they go back to the castle, I love the dialogue back and forth. The the match wits. If you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done this. And that goes to your point, too, of they don't trust each other yet. They're just pointing fingers and placing blame. With regard to the timeline, though, from Bell's exchange to the beast giving her the library is actually only 24 hours. There's no day-to-night transition. Maureen, Maureen, what? This isn't rent. (laughs) It's because Christina's here and I'm thinking about Idina. (laughs) I I just look at her and think Idina. Yeah, that's the reason why. (laughs) Maurice leaves the, (laughs) he leaves to go to the convention gets lost in the woods. It's dark. He is captured. That is night one. Philippe goes back to get Belle the next morning. She goes to the castle that same night. It's dark. And then she goes, and it's stretched out because she refuses dinner. She gets hungry. She goes down to the kitchen. They do the song and dance. Then she gets her tour, and then she goes to the West Wing. This is one day, and then she gets kicked out. So, yeah, it all happens pretty fast. And then the next day he gives her the library. So I think that in spite of the fact that that all happens very quickly, I think the real accomplishment of this movie is that you buy the fact that the two of them are starting to create this bond. It doesn't feel forced and i i think you know the point i mean to uh, at the sake of repeating myself because it'll happen no less than a half a dozen times between now and the end of this review this is the tie between strong dialogue and great songwriting and and good acting and good directing 
it it all of it, like none of this should be believable, but at the same time, you're like, well, of course, naturally. It's because so much of the story is channeled through these songs. Yeah, for sure. So they are now starting to fall for each other. There's a budding romance that's happening. Oh no 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 wait! I'm sorry. We are not glossing over this library. I mentioned it. I didn't want to get too far ahead, but th- we, we cannot gloss over this gesture this most gorgeous library the missed mark of the enchanted rose because this does not scream bell's library to me i'm sorry it just doesn't and that's that's a big pet peeve with the live action film uh but it's just gorgeous and and that is better than any you know sort of kiss the girl gesture or or any other any magic carpet ride it is about the library yes i agree i agree and we're juxtaposed <laughs> against... Now, I wish we had a YouTube channel to see Sean's face there. Gaston talking to, I call him Frollo because it's the same voice actor, the warden, about... He kind of looks like Frollo, too, with long hair. I don't like this character. He's I love creepy. this movie, but he's one of my least favorite Disney characters. And also, his animation style doesn't match the rest of the film to me. It almost looks like I'm watching like a Scooby-Doo or something, right? Like a... Yeah. It just doesn't fit. It's like you pulled the mask off of him. Yeah. Bingo. I Like, I get that they're in the firelight and it's, you know, dark in the tower. Again, this is all happening on night one. He, he Yeah, he just doesn't look like he fits. Yeah. But this is now happening where the two of them are scheming to commit Maurice to the asylum because all you, you've got these really beautiful musical numbers where we're somebody's guest and then we're dancing and the, and, and the tea kettle is singing and we have the beautiful chandelier shot. And we'll talk about the yeah, chandelier shot. soon. kettle is singing. Did he just say that? He what? Did. <laughs> he, did. he did. I did it for that reaction. <gasps> you have all these really wonderful moments in this movie. I know the character's name. Yeah, I, I did it for I this know, reaction. I even know it's Murder, She Wrote, okay? <laughs> Angela Lansbury, okay? I'll even say the real name because if I don't start saying real things, I'm not going to live to the end of this. You go with Murder, She Wrote and not her her other Disney hit? Bed knobs and Broomsticks? It no, is. it's Murder, She Wrote. I know that's crazy, but she I go to Murder, She Wrote. well known for that. And, like, the films. I, I, I would argue right Mrs. Potts, but, you know. <laughs> no, no, aside from Mrs. Potts, I'm sorry. Gotcha. Thank you, Christina. But it's it's just so interesting that you have this like this tug of war going back and forth between these like really like impassioned. Well, that's the thing. Like like all these scenes are impassioned, but they're impassioned in totally different ways. Yes. And I think that's like that is what makes this film. I think that's why this movie does hold up so well is because you've got these moments of glory, like in conjunction with these moments where you just get a, a total pit in your stomach. And this ticking time bomb because yes. the petals are falling. Exactly. So it is that race against time, right? Yeah. Which is why the pacing is so good. So now, after we dance. <laughs> <laughs> Which was such ahead of its time. The panning on that for an animated film. <sighs> we can't just gloss over that. I'm sorry. We're not going to. Oof. I promise you that. Oof. Remember, we still have to dissect these musical numbers in oh. these scenes because I've got a lot of things to say and a lot of it is going to spill over into next week's episode mm-hmm. when it comes to that song. But even before that, when he's getting ready and he, like they're getting him ready, like that oh, is such a so like cute. that's such a great scene because he's like nervous. Now you have this whole different side of the beast. 
and he looks stupid and he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> so now she sees her father in the mirror because they're trying to commit him and he runs off back to the woods because he's trying to rescue Belle, but also prove that he is not insane. Because that's the thing with Maurice, right? And this is where he's a likable character from the beginning. And it's where you have so much sympathy for him is nobody takes him seriously. I will argue that he's insane for not having a heavier coat because how many times is this man <laughs> going to go into a snowstorm with that cloak? At least once more, Mrs. Swan. Miss Swan. <laughs> okay? Just for good measure. So, like, it's... He's so lovable because... T- to your point, he doesn't care about that. Yeah. He wants to save his daughter and prove that he's not insane. He's trying to do, he's trying to basically save his own reputation and prove everybody wrong for everything that they're saying about him to begin with. So we see him in the mirror, and this is, to me, this is the pinnacle for the beast, right? It's not any, I mean, look, the end of the movie is spectacular. His revival is rejuvenation is rebirth whatever the hell you want to call it is spectacular but this is the pinnacle moment for him when he lets her go i think people forget what an important moment this is in the movie it's like one of the most because he becomes bell and he's selfless and she's not surrounded by that she's selfish 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 her father selfless and now the beast is that way too I think the other thing that people forget is that the curse is twofold because the agreement is he has to learn to love and earn someone else's love in return. So it's not just about falling for Belle and it's not just about, you know, trying to woo her. He has to realize what love is. And again, you just jumped 10 years from an 11-year-old boy to a man because now you're experiencing all of these mature feelings and now you were able to let her go. Surrounded by no one in this time but, like, talking objects, so how are you going to learn to love, you know? Right, but that's interesting that the talking objects are not there in that moment when he decides to let her go. Mm. He did that all by yeah. himself. There's no wingman to, to help him out there. And, in fact, they're shocked and, in a way, yeah. dismayed and disappointed that he did it. That crestfallen look when she leaves with the three of them. Oh, it's killer. And and what's really interesting about that moment in particular is he's become everything they always wanted him to be. It's just that now it doesn't benefit yeah. them. Here's the other strange thing for me is that Belle never offers to come back to visit him. And, you know, she's got her freedom now. She can come and go as she pleases and you would think that she would want to. And if the beast cares for her so much, why aren't you helping her look for her father? Because at this point, he's lost. He's not captured yet. I would agree with the second part of that. But the first part, I'm like, well, if we're talking about the pacing of this film, she sees her father. She's got to get to him. She's not going to be like, hey, I'll come back. She's just going. Thanks for the mirror. I'm out of here. The beast, like, let me help you. Yeah. You chase down wolves for her. You're not going to help her go look for her father? Unless maybe he's still mad about the breaking and entering. I don't know. They, They never really answer it. Can he not leave the castle, though? I wonder if that's, like, a unspoken part of this. Oh, that's an excellent point. They never out-and-out say. Yeah. See, I would think so, though, because the townspeople don't even know that he's there. Right. And you would think if there's this big castle sitting at the end of the woods, you would know about it. That is the one thing that the live-action kind of 
They don't mm. know. They forgot about them. Like it's you know, it's the, part of the spell. I'm they not gonna had get into it erased. because like your guys are gonna talk about that next week. But there were, I'll give it that. There one. were maybe two or three things that the live action movie cleans up. Did we need it cleaned up? Nope. No, but the problem is for the three things they cleaned up. They completely trashed <laughs> everything else. Three things they ruined. <laughs> and and it's the chandelier shot. They ruined it. I will say this though. Because this, they didn't have it. <laughs> this film is no weaker for not having that kind of an Agreed. explanation. It yeah. does not ruin the film for me. Absolutely. So Belle now has her father. She finds Maurice. They head back to the town. She shows everyone the mirror. Shows them the beast and gets locked in a basement by Gaston as he and the rest of the townsfolk are out to kill the beast. In your favorite song, according to Christina. Apparently. <laughs> five-year-old, five-year-old song. Five-year-old is all excited to kill the beast. Look, I don't want the beast killed, but that is a great song. Like, I get amped every time. Come on. Alan Macon, Howard it's Mashman. so great. Like, you don't want this moment to happen, but you want the music to happen. Like, that... Oof. And you have a stowaway chip, which I think actually, pro- I, I think that that probably answers the question about whether or not they can leave. Yes, it absolutely does. Well, can he, though? I guess that's the question. It's different for him than it is for the rest of them. He's a beast. He's a teacup. Like, the teacup can sneak. The beast can't really hide either. <gasps> right, because the so... beast also has that coach that sends Maurice back. So he right. can yes. send objects there. Yeah, that's true. But you get stowaway chip. They use the wood chopping machine to break them out. So, again, it's this race against time because you've got them trying to break out of this dungeon, out of this basement, while the mob song is happening. And what's really interesting is the household objects are ready to fight. The Beast has absolutely no will to do so. I understand that he's heartbroken, so I get where he's just like, let them come. But I love how the household bands together and they team up to defend the castle. Because what's really remarkable about it, too, more than anything else, is that they kind of know that the jig is up. Like, they let Belle go. She was their one chance. They know that the rose has, like, a petal left at this point. And they're still going to stand their ground. And it's a shining moment. For all the enchanted objects. Like, you get all of, not just the core four over there. Yes, the wardrobe, yeah. the stove, yeah. e- everything is in play here, which is another thing that the live action really missed the mark on. I mean, we could we could do, I mean, we are going to do an entire episode <laughs> on what the live action missed. But we could do an entire episode of just, hey, this happened, but the live action. Um, but, but there you're are right, some though. good things about the live action, I will say that. I Not plot-wise, but everything else. Um not everything else. I take that back. That that felt wrong coming from leaving my body. There are, <laughs> there are a couple of things that it did do well. I'm not pooping on the whole thing, but I'm not I'm not excited about it either. Well, I could tell you that we're probably going to do that next week. We'll see. I don't know. I'm just going to leave that out there. You'll have to listen next <laughs> week to hear what we have to say in totality when it comes to the live action. But uh, yeah, to your point, th- this is such a great scene for the household items. It's a just like a really good like combat yeah. scene in general. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's anything as good as what you see in Mulan, which is not a film that I'm terribly fond of, and, and you know that. But I think that, yeah, it's, it's up there. It's a fun scene, but like they, what they do well here is that they mix like the victory with the funny. Yeah. There's these like, 
there's it's such a it's a it's a strong character moment for the ensemble cast but they mix in just the right amount of comic relief here right i think that comes from they're doing the best they can with what they have to work with because half of them don't even have opposable thumbs so you're or like the wardrobe you know she's just going to use her weight because and and her size to her advantage because she can't really fight or the stove he's got to stay put but you lure LeFou into the kitchen and then you scare him and, you know, they manage to get the entire town on the run. I also think this scene, as well as the whole movie, does a really great job of dipping into comedy, dipping into serious things, but not going too far. Movies today just, like, go way too far one way and not enough the other. So, it's ahead of this time, this movie. I'm going to keep saying that. That is a great point. It is it is so balanced, not yeah. just with the pacing, but where it chooses to balance the, the darkness with the comedy. Well, and this is something, right, that as much as I love the MCU, sometimes they don't get it I right. I was just thinking that. A lot of, I'm not going to lie, a lot of this episode I've been thinking now, if the Eternals would just take that note from what Beauty and the Beast done, it would have been a better movie. We still have not seen Eternals. Okay. No, it's okay. okay, because you basically... Good, we're you we're just going said, in a couple of days. Okay. Yeah, because... Just so that if anybody out there, okay, if anybody out there ever wondered what my dedication is to Monorail Radio and to you, our friends, I am not currently sitting at opening night of Ghostbusters Afterlife because we're talking about Beauty and the Beast. Don't ever question my dedication to any of you ever again. Are you going tomorrow? We're going over the weekend. Okay. I have other commitments so we're going later in the weekend but uh, it's going to be worth the wait but don't anybody ever question my commitment to you ever again i saw it last night (laughs) oh boy oh boy we're gonna have a conversation (laughs) after this conversation moving on now bell is back okay she's back and now the Beast has his will to live, and he's got his will to fight. But the thing is, he is so distracted by Belle that he's kind of forgotten about Gaston, um, which was, it's one of the few things that as the years have gone on, and I've, and I've continued to watch this movie, you know, Gaston was all over him, right? And the Beast was completely defeated the whole time, not just physically being assaulted, but verbally being assaulted, and he had no will to fight back. It's like Belle, she's almost more of a distraction than she is a motivator. And it's it kind of has never sat well with me how the Beast just forgets that Gaston is there. See, I relate to that. Because, like, my high school self, when I was, like, in love with the guy, I forgot about everything else going on. I think the symbolism in this movie, just my life and this movie, just parallels so well in a weird way. So I get where he's coming from with that. And I get, like, you know, the motivation with Gaston. And I think even he's a little, like, confused when she shows up, too. Because I think a part of him still wants to impress her, even with everything. I agree. And I I think we're glossing over what a big deal this is and what it means to him that she came back. Yeah. It's it's hope. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I mean, he's fallen for her. And now not only does he get the love of his life back, but he gets his hope back that the spell can be broken. Yeah. Right, not just for him, but for all of the servants who are now the household items, right? So, does it make it any more heartbreaking when the Beast is killed? 
as brief as it is, when Gaston stabs him, and Gaston immediately falls to his death, so Gaston's out of the Carm- picture. Okay, let me ask you. That is, is a it, brutal ending, though. For Gaston. Yes. But does had, he had die? You, but they never say if he dies or not. They left that open-ended. I'm just gonna put that out there. I know he's falling off a castle and it's hard to survive, but they never said he died. So, do you believe that was a fitting end for Gaston? He was killing somebody. But do you wish that do you wish that either the beast or Bell would have sent him over? No, because the beast has had a full arc at this point, so I think he's yeah. too I'm not gonna say he's soft, uh, but I think he's he's too kind hearted now to do it. He's learned too much from Bell yeah. where he's gonna do something that vicious. I think it's a fitting end in the sense of I never understand why Gaston is as nimble as the beast in tower jumping because the beast has claws and Gaston's got boosts that I imagine are very slippery. So of course he was going over like there's no two ways about it. But I think as far as villain deaths go, this is up there. It's it's pretty bad until we get to Frollo and Hunchback. Frollo is brutal. This is a bad one. Frollo is brutal for sure. Yeah. So, because it's not just a comeuppance. This is, I mean, they really take them out. So now you get hit. Forget a one-two punch. It's like a one-two-three, and then like they kick you when you're down because the beast, the beast is gone. The pedal falls. All hope is lost for the servants. Bell is heartbroken. All of this happens in like a ten-second period of time. I have seen this movie hundreds of times. I know what's going to happen. I cry my eyes out. Every time. I think it's the the music. It's just it's just the perfect scene. It gives you all of the feels. Here's my question, though. Do we feel bad for Belle in this moment? Because she was a little late to the party here. Yeah, because we've all been Belle. We've all been just like a hair late to something when you think about it. Okay, this is me. I think, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think you're sympathetic towards her because, I mean, it's it, she didn't just like take off to escape she took off to her go st- save her father which and is the entire in the basement which is the entire reason why she's in this predicament to begin with yeah. right and no and to be fair they were locked in a basement until chip saved them mm-hmm. so they got there as soon as they could but i guess because bell has not made the same gesture the beast has you know he he did one of the hardest things if you love something let it go and he did she hasn't really done anything to reciprocate other than just give him the time of day and look past his exterior. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's not that I don't necessarily feel bad for her uh, because she does love him and, and she thinks she's about to lose him. But I guess that's it. Until Until she loses him, we don't have that from her yet. We don't have that confirmation. So she does lose him. And to your point, Christina, see, like I had seen this movie a bunch of times and you're right. The way it's the visual, it's the music. But, you know, it didn't it it upsets me more now after having seen Waking Sleeping Beauty, because in Waking Sleeping Beauty, they show the unfinished version of that scene that was shown at the New York Film Festival 
but the caption underneath is to tell you, at least in that documentary, is to tell you that Howard Ashman passed away and never saw the movie completed. So when I get gutted in this movie, it has nothing to do with this movie, and it has everything to do with Waking Sleeping Beauty. What's amazing, too, is when they show that footage of just flipping through the animated pages before it's inked and painted, uh, it's still just as powerful. Yeah. The animation is just so beautiful. It's amazing. Agreed. So the beast comes back. Well, uh, even before that, the way she says I love you in that moment, no other prince and princess moment of falling in love is as powerful. Like that is the realest love out of all of them. Fight me all day long on it. That's the answer. And that's where you get what you need from Belle. Yeah. It's in that yeah. line. But before that, like you don't feel her grief from the loss. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Now, you're calling him the beast. He does have a name. I don't know oh. if you're being spiteful or you really don't know it. Because you, you no got to be a Disney, but I don't think Sean knows his name. I just always called him the beast. <gasps> I can think a lot of words with the letter A. And I know that you two have one in mind in particular as you're staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the moment right there. Uh, yeah, no. It's a little shorter than that. No, I, to me, he's always the beast. It's Prince Adam who never gets enough credit. He doesn't. He is the most handsome Disney prince. I don't care what anybody says. Fight me on that. Really? I mean, because can... a lot of a lot of women think he's hideous. In the live action, he should have stayed the beast. I'm just saying. Yeah, but... if that wasn't Chris Hemsworth, we should have just yeah, left him alone. Missed opportunity. Um, but in the animated one, I think uh, those eyes, those eyes. Oof, that money shot. Uh -huh. it, and the hair. Uh -huh. He doesn't get enough credit. It's mm -mm. not fair. Mm -mm. Now that we've had that moment. <laughs> drink some water. Chill out. Calm down. I can't because we're getting to one of, my, like, one of my favorite moments ever. That smooch. Oh! That's one of the best kids. I'm sorry. It's the best. Prince Eric, you had one job and your smooch was not that good. They have the wind and the music. And the hair. Oh! The hair. It's my favorite. I'll take your word for it. Uh, I obviously don't have that kind of connection, but I'll take your word for it. And we all live happily ever after. But it, but the movie ends as it should have ended, right? I mean, it, it is a it is a most perfect ending to the film, right? I don't think anybody's going to debate that. Before we move on to cast here, was there anything else on the plot that we wanted to discuss here? <laughs> I could talk about this movie for 100 days, but... All right, let's start talking about the cast then. Starting, of course, with Paige O'Hara. Who I got a chance to meet two years ago. And she, first of all, I was like, who's the real Belle here? I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was so sweet. And we talked about how, like, she was very unsure by this movie. But, like, everyone involved with the Like, she took a chance on this. And she said it was the best decision she ever made was taking this role. That's well, awesome. she was such a fan of Howard Ashman yep. because... Very similar to Jodie Benson, yeah. she was a Broadway actress. Yeah. You know, this was this was before Disney was just plucking A-listers and yeah. putting them in their movies. <laughs> I got, I'll be honest with you, so do I. Yeah. I kind of, like, miss the days of, like, finding the new yeah. and upcoming. Yes. Right? I mean, you haven't really had it since Moana, but I don't think you're really going to have... Yeah. It's just, it just seems like something that... They're not going to lean into anymore. You only half had it with Moana because then they had Dwayne the Rock Johnson in there. You know? This is true. 
this is very true. Another film that we'll be talking about later this month. But I mean, look, Belle's a great character. Belle, Belle is a, she's a culture changing character. Yeah. She's a pop culture shifting character. Yeah. And I think Paige O'Hara was spectacular. Yeah. I agree. No, and I want to let it be known because I feel like a lot of the younger generation is writing Belle off for having Stockholm Syndrome. Maybe in the live action because she does nothing to care for the beast. She there are no selfless acts. That that bell is a a completely different animal than the animated bell. She is in control of literally every single decision Mm -hmm. in this film. There is no Stockholm syndrome. She doesn't fall for her captor. She wanted an adventure and she got one and she chose to live this life. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. I try. Yep, couldn't agree more. Robbie Benson plays the Beast, who is, by the way, credited as the Beast, okay? Not Prince Adam, so just don't If he was Prince Adam, you would have been like, wait, what character was that? Okay. (laughs) So. Well, I mean, there's one prince in the movie. I would have figured it out. It's also called Beauty and the Beast, so they kind of had to put him in. Does anybody else? It's bad enough that you had to let me know that you saw Ghostbusters last night. I also don't know if it's the same speaking lines i know robbie benson is the beast but once he changes to prince adam he has a lot more of a french accent it might be somebody else voicing yeah, voicing him like, i honestly i feel like they had jerry no. orbach do that read wait does it say someone for prince adam on there that's actually a really interesting point no i always thought it was two different people no it it's not to be fair the beast has way more speaking lines yeah. than prince adam he has two lines three seconds, yeah, yeah. Not long enough. But I thought he was very good. That was yeah. the point. No, I thought was. Robbie Benson was great. excellent. He's great. Because what I love about him was similar to, say, a Cogsworth. Cogsworth really just is comic relief. But mm-hmm. with the Beast, he's serious and he's scary. But he's also funny at the same time. Like There is a very, yeah. there's a really good balance here. And I think that that, has a lot to do with the actor who's playing him. I also, what I love so much about the Beast is just the way that he's animated. I mean, they give you the size, they give you the strength. Uh, It's Glenn Keane. Yeah, no, it's just absolutely incredible how they, the the movement that they were able to channel through such a large character. Mm -hmm. And then when he softens and his mannerisms become a lot more gentle, um... Yeah, and and they use it for the comedy of it too. Like when when Belle teaches him, when she levels with him that how they're going to drink the soup out mm-hmm. of the bowl instead of forcing him to use a spoon, um, just just so brilliant with his animation. Richard White is Gaston. I mean, what else do you need to say? Perfection, absolute perfection. Um, Jerry Orbach. I mean, Jerry Orbach yeah. as Lumi- as Lumiere. Is nothing against you and you and McGregor, and we'll talk. Obviously, we're going to talk about that movie next week. But I mean, this is the character, right? It's, I mean, two it's different him. Characters, honestly, when you think about it, yeah. You and, like between the two of them, the actors, two different characters. Sorry. And Jerry Orbach, I mean, this was an actor like people remember him from Law and Order, and they remember him from Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Like I feel like most people don't know that this was him. Yeah, but I feel like he was so into this i feel like he really had some fun with it and i think he made lumiere what lumiere is and i i don't just mean in the sense of this movie to me 
you hear Be Our Guest, and like, of course you think of this brilliant number. Of course you love seeing it in PhilharMagic, but like, I'm thinking my classic fireworks shows. I'm thinking yeah. about Wishes and Happily Ever After. Like, that's how Lumiere translates to me. Yeah. David Ogden Steers plays Cogsworth. He was also rat. Uh, he was also in uh, Pocahontas, yeah. right? Yes. So, but in this, it's such a different character. He's absolutely hysterical. Yeah. He is, and. To to your point, I mean, in comparison to Lumiere, as far as the parks go, yeah, maybe Cogsworth doesn't get the time of day. Oh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but in this movie, he is one of my favorite characters. I said it before. The speaking lines are brilliant. All the belly laughs from this movie, to me, come from Cogsworth. Yeah. Angela Lansbury. Oh. Again, flawless. This what do we is need to say? Absolute flawless perfection. She's like a Julie Andrews level, you know? You can't compare. And I, I love the animation of this character. I love how they rounded her out yeah. and they make her bounce around. And I love the maternal quality that she brings, not just to Chip, although that kind of gets destroyed in the end when you see like the age gap between them. But whatever, we'll overlook it. I love how she's maternal towards everyone, even yeah. Belle. Right. Yeah. And speaking of Chip, Bradley Pierce plays him. He's fun. He's cute. Yeah, he's, he's a kid, right? It's it's kind of what you see is what yeah. you get. I think you forget, though, how big Chip was. I mean, he was, aside from the Bell dolls, he was the merch from this movie. Yeah. Rex Everhart plays Maurice. He's he's fine, I, and it's not it's not bad. I mean, but he, how? What else do you say about him? You know, I mean, I could sit here and just say, "Oh, they're great, they're great, they're great." But you wouldn't want an over the top person to play that character because then it just ruins that character. You know, I it becomes he, he becomes too it. much of yeah. a spoof of himself, yeah, right? Exactly. That's my only criticism of Maurice, though. I wish I wish that he wasn't so blundering all the time, and he he is when he's working on the invention, and you know, I, I kind of touched on this before that he does deserve a little bit more credit because he holds his own when he's out in the woods. But I feel like that's almost more by happenstance than anything that he tried to do. Like we were joking about it before because he's a parent that survives, but he didn't really do anything to survive. Right. Or to help himself. For sure. That we know of. There's still, we need that five minute Disney plus thing. To exactly. Explain. Jesse Cordy plays LeFou. We haven't talked enough about uh, LeFou. We have not, no. I love LeFou. He's absolutely hysterical. Yeah. In every scene that he is in, he is absolutely hysterical. I love, I mean, he's supposed to be the comic relief, right? But I just love how they put him up against Gaston, even in the animation, where Gaston is very angular and squared and he's round and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, He's even though Gaston is a meathead, he does prove to be very intelligent. And LeFou is kind of the goofy sidekick, and you know he's kind of uh, until they get to the battle with the the castle staff, he's really just the sidekick and doesn't really do anything for himself. But there's heart to LeFou too. Like there's Absolutely. not a shred of it for Gaston except for himself. He loves himself, but LeFou like is kind of genuine. But he's in Gaston's shadow, so you don't see that too. Exactly, because he's not down with setting up Maurice, and mm -hmm. he does try to fight back yep. a little bit. Yep. All right, let's talk about, I mean, what is truly the all-star of the film. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Oh, it's yes. a character in and of itself. It is. Starting with Belle, 
the very long opening number, but I think the animation is incredible. I think it still holds up. It, I said it earlier. It fleshes out the entire cast. This number, I think, is why this was the first one besides Aida to go to Broadway. Yes. Because it is such a theatrical number. And the way that they were able to animate so many background characters and give them life and story within this town is is just brilliant. This is this may count this may or may not come as a shock. I don't know which way this is gonna go. That's my favorite Disney song, Belle. Ever, ever? Ever. I didn't I know that. Have so many memories attached to the song. It's just it's got something for everyone. It's not one like like I love a whole new world, but sometimes when it comes on in the car, I'm like, I'm gonna skip it, go to the next one. I never skip Belle. I love this song. I, I mean, I would never skip anything on this soundtrack. No. Um, I mean, for me, I, I didn't know that about you. It's not yeah. a surprise. I just didn't know that. I guess because it's not like the bop that something like In Under the Sea or A Friend Like Me. Love all those too. Or Be Our Guest is. This is an underdog in my opinion. I think I've, it's not that I never disliked it, but I've certainly grown to have more of an appreciation for it story-wise, the older I've gotten. I do want to debunk something, though, because so many people think that when she gets to the, um, you know, where she's sitting at the fountain and the music sort of changes and not sort of changes, it does change, and this is what's going to prove my point. She says that she doesn't discover that it's him until chapter three, and so many people go, oh, my God, it's an Easter egg for Aladdin. That could be, yes, because Prince Ali is revealed in the third act to be Aladdin. And you could certainly argue that it's an Easter egg because both of those films were in production at the same time. However, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy because she meets her Prince Charming, but she doesn't, you know, we, we hit on this before, is that she doesn't tell the Beast that she loves him. She doesn't know that's her true love until the third act. And if you have any doubt, Alan Menken gives us the music cue because it changes to the part, the same melody as something there when she says new and a bit alarming. It's about her. She's singing about herself. Talking about somebody singing about themselves and other people singing about this said person. Gaston. Great. Great villain song. It's one of the best. Yeah. I think it's up there with Be Prepared. I think it's up oh, yeah. there with Poor Unfortunate Souls. I, it's in, I mean, it has to be in the top three. Those are the three. Like, well, there's not many, vil- there's, in the older movies, there's not many villain songs when you think about it. Like, you've got Cruella de Vil, but Roger's singing that. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the same thing. Maleficent doesn't have a song. Like, Evil Queen doesn't have a song in the earlier movies. Those three, those are three of the best Disney songs, period. But then villain songs, yes. I love his ridiculous chair, which you do see at Gaston's Tavern in the Magic Kingdom. Can we talk about how much they nailed that? Yeah. The theming there is incredible. Yeah. And the the food is great. That cinnamon roll, LeFou's brew, I love all of it. Do you know we don't see that chair in the 2017 movie? (laughs) I'm trying not to keep doing this. But it's, it's so hard. hard. It's so hard. Can I just say one thing? Like, Gaston's Tavern's awesome. The Be Our Guest restaurant is awesome. But when are we going to get that Beauty and the Beast ride that's overseas? That ride looks Ugh. incredible. I hate to say this because the ride is adorbs. I would have rather had this than Ratatouille, probably. 
if we were going to go with a, a trackless yeah. system. We... And you could have put it in France. Obviously, I'm it works. Saying, yeah. I'm saying. Or, like, if you would have given me some audio animatronics in Ratatouille, like, okay, maybe I would have liked it better, but we got to find room for this. There's got to be some room. Can we take out Enchanted Tales with Belle? Can we do something over there? Because I need that ride. The audio animatronics in that are amazing. When's the They're last incredible. time we got an audio animatronic, like, base ride in Walt Disney World? My voice is getting high because I'm, like, upset about this. <laughs> Rise. But Rise is a hybrid, yeah, though. It's yeah, got a little bit of everything. Everything screen-based. They're kind of they're kind of starting to dip their toes into the universal water with the screens. Not it's not as bad, but it's <laughs> at times it's certainly not much better either. Okay, be our guest. I mean, Actually, listen. to answer your question, was Little Mermaid the last one that we got? Because I'm Probably. not counting. I'm not counting Snow White. Well, New Fantasyland's been open for what? eight years now yeah that's that was probably it no and mine train recycled animatronics so i'm i mean even even frozen ever after what is it the frozen ride in epcot oh yeah i think that was after uh that was after after uh it was was, journey into the sea that's i don't know it's weird like that but it's still projections there are still projections (gasps) and it's a retrofitted ride uh, you know, yeah, if you're thinking about something right. they did from scratch. Like that, the Beauty and the Beast one overseas is all audio animatronic. There might be like a touch or two of screens, but it's not like, it's the opposite of Mickey and Minnie's where you have like two, using quotes here, air quotes, audio animatronics, and then the rest are screens, really. Right. Be our guest. I mean, it, it needs no introduction. It hardly needs an explanation. It might be the best song that's ever been recorded in a Disney film. How do you not get happy? That's that's the essence of Disney. How can you not be happy during the song? And even as a kid, I realized how clever those lyrics yeah. were. I mean, when it gets to the end and Lumiere, Lumiere oh. breaks it down uh, course by course, like, come on. And it's this is so where good. that footage that you see in Howard, Jerry, nobody's having more fun than yeah, Jerry Orbach. I love that. I uh, love that scene. No one is having more fun than Jerry Orbach. Not even Angela Lansbury. I mean, it's she, close. she slays in this number, but he totally steals the show. Mm-hmm. We've talked about, you know, the the brilliance of the animation in the town and how great that looks. We've talked about it in Gaston's Tavern. We haven't really talked about the castle. Um, and there's not always that much to it, especially because, you know, they do a good job of making it look old and dingy. Um but I love how it's still dark in this number, and it it pops. It's brought to yeah. life with all of these the animated objects. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I love how they fill the space. They fill the screen. Yeah. It's amazing. And you know, I constantly when I think about when I think about this song, I don't even think about this movie. I think about Philhar Magic. But, uh, but, yes. but you know why? Because what Philhar Magic does so very well is. It for, for I mean we're we're sitting here crapping on screen based attractions, and that's exactly what Phil Harmagic is. But, but, but they put you, they put you, but they put you in the scene like you, yeah. like like being there in that moment mm-hmm. and seeing that, you know, that, seeing that scene in that attraction. It, I feel like it it does as much. As it can to put you in that moment. I like smell it right now. Like yeah. I smell the steam talking. Well, about oh it. man, and or you, you get the the cork pops yeah. from that champagne. Oh. I so love it. You were not there. We were there when they reopened it. Oh, for Coco. Uh, uh. 
No, no, Christina. It's, it's amazing. Incredible. Do they, do they take anything no. Out? no, 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 no. They don't take anything out, and I, I'm not going to ruin when yeah, they no, put no. it. It's, At first, it's I thought flawless. they took Aladdin out, and I was like, I, I love Coco, it, but I don't know I can if I can lose a Howard Ashman song for Coco. Yeah. It was it's flawless. Perfect. The whole thing is perfect. We got a new screen and a new projector because I and love a new paint job. and a new paint job, you new carpet, everything. Oh, I love that because oh, the one yeah. in Disneyland, you're like, well, it's the same show, but it's so much nicer because yep. it's so much newer. Yep. Yeah, th that's the I thing. Like, it. I love PhilharMagic. It's much needed facelift. PhilharMagic is one of my favorites, yeah. and there's never a wait for it. It's a can't miss. But, but the thing is, I over the last ten years, it was getting fuzzier and fuzzier yes. and fuzzier. Yeah. And you're like, is it the glasses or is it the screen? Like, what's going on? And little column A, little column B. <laughs> but they they gave it a much. It's yeah. so clear. It's oh, it's no yeah. different than when they gave Muppet Vision a new projector and mm. screen a couple of years ago. Because that was the same thing. Yeah. Like that was getting a little a little janky. Yeah. But no, like you didn't see it. You're I know you're going back down in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you weeks. you're you're gonna love it. Yeah. You're, you're gonna, gonna love it. Okay. <laughs> Something there. I like the song for the I mean it's a good song, but I like it more for a passage of time. It's more than just your average montage. And it passes a whole day. <laughs> a whole day or a whole day and a half. Yeah, I mean that's the only thing i wish we would have gotten a couple of more like sunrise and sunsets and this had maybe stretched out over a week because then i would believe more where bell starts to fall for him but we don't exactly know that this is just one day because they don't say that they just this don't is show true. the sunrise sunset yeah I, I, so maybe you don't necessarily need those kinds of transitions because they do eat a couple of meals and we see him mm -hmm. learn to to mm -hmm. slurp from the bowl instead of this it's adorable um I love this song. I, I always have. I love the duet. I love yeah. that we're getting there in a inner monologue. I love that they're pushing the story forward. Yeah. It's fantastic. I love that she's dressed appropriately for the snow, unlike her father. I love that outfit. It's the best. I need that outfit. <laughs> the next song in the film is, of course, the title track, Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Angela Lansbury slays this, to me... While Be Our Guest, I think, is probably the best song ever recorded for a Disney film, this is the most iconic. Oh, absolutely. Okay, and, and what makes it the most iconic is the chandelier shot. And you are going to hear me next week. I'm going to go, I am Do going it. to pontificate, and you should, you should all be used to this by now. I am, go, I am going to just shred the fact that you missed the most iconic shot. I I would go on, and I'm going to go on record here. I honestly think this is probably the most iconic shot in the history of the Disney company. When Sean goes off about it next week, I'm going to be listening with like the Kill Our Beast, Kill the Beast music, <laughs> the mob song in the background, like yeah, <laughs> like getting pumped. Oh, just, I'm, just, I'm starting. I'm my wheels are yeah. turning. I'm starting to rehearse it in my head. I, I already know what I want to say. But I'm yeah. just sitting here going, please let Ghostbusters 3 be good. Please. There will be no living with you. You're right. <laughs> it's, but, but the, I mean, look, there's a reason why this film was the first film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. There's a reason why it was the first animated film to win Best Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes. There's a reason why this song won a Grammy, an Oscar, a Golden Globe. The songwriting is, is incredible. Yeah. The performance is incredible. But I got to tell you, subconsciously, 
I think a lot of that has to do with the animation. I think that the, it's a the, good marriage. It's yeah. it's well, that's exactly right. It's married to the animation yeah. because when I hear this song in a Disney parks, or if I hear this song come on the Disney hits uh, radio on XM, all I see is that chandelier because yeah. they beat you over the head with it. You have to you have to be a person of a certain age to remember when this movie came out. Yeah. How they just beat that shot into your head when the movie came out and for the couple of years that followed, but because the shot is just that good. Even on Great Movie Ride. Oh. Yep. I mean, it's, they included, I mean, yes, it's all self-promotion, but the point of the Great Movie Ride was to showcase all of these great films, not just Disney films. They they were Oscar winners and, and pop culture icons. Yeah. It was everything, and that was in there, and there was a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um... But I, I agree with you. I can't hear this without seeing it. It's one of those things that is just so tied in your brain. And it makes you feel a certain way no matter how many times you've heard it. Exactly. The Mob song is the next and final song. I absolutely love it. I love everything about it. Yeah. And a lot of people have wondered, like, was Howard Ashman... Oh, we discussed it when, when we talked about the film Howard... Was he injecting his own struggles, what he was going through at the time? Because he was dying of AIDS. I never thought of that. And there are people that will debate back and forth about whether he did or whether he did. He's gone on record or had gone on record saying that he he never had an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. He was never trying to preach anything. His sister said the same thing. His partner sort of said something different. I mean, look, I can only believe what the source is telling me. And if the source yeah. is telling me that, no, that's not what I was doing, right. then I believe that that's not what he was doing. But you can, I mean, if you, if you dig hard enough, obviously there are parallels there. There are certainly parallels. There's certainly symbolism, but I don't think any of it was no. intentional. I think he cared far too much about the story to, to put his own personal beliefs and, and, and use it as a platform. I don't think that that was the case at all. But regardless, the lyrics are brilliant. Um, the energy is what really strikes me about that song. From the moment Gaston throws the torch onto the hay bale and it ignites, um, I love the lighting in this number. Like, that's the other thing. Yeah. We're talking about how great the lighting is in the the dance number, in the ballroom scene. Um, and it's wonderful the way everything sparkles and, you know, I didn't get a word in edgewise about the chandelier, but I do love it too. I recognize how brilliant it is. Uh, I, I gave you an opportunity. I sat back. (laughs) But the lighting is just as good here because they're playing with the light and the shadows and they're, Mm -hmm. they're using it to, um, sort of symbolize the beast, I think, because they're making the shadows larger than life and, you know, it does create that air we almost flip on the beast at this point because we are being thrown into the POV of the townspeople, even though we know that he has the capacity to love, even though he did make this amazing gesture to Belle. Um, you don't necessarily know how he's going to react. So they sort of try to villainize him, and, and it, it almost works. And that just proves that the music is a character in this movie. Absolutely. All right, so in conclusion... I'm going to let Christina go first and then Jackie, you will go and then I will go. But like in conclusion, your final review, your final say of 1991's Beauty and the Beast. Well, also with the music, you're forgetting the score throughout the whole movie. The transformation yes. scene is my ringtone on my phone. 
Like that is so powerful to me. All of that, whether there's lyrics in the song or not, Ugh, everything about this movie, the characters, the music, it's my favorite movie of all time, not just Disney movie. Like it's my most watched. It's the one I feel most connected to, even though it's the most out there, but also like the most relatable to me. It changed my life when I saw it in the theaters, when I saw it on Broadway, seeing it in Mickey's Fill Her Magic. There's nothing else that compares with this movie. I love, love, love it. I've not had the nicest thing to say about this individual on the show at times, but I think Jeffrey Katzenberg said it best in this case. Great story and unforgettable characters. Uh, compounded with just hit after hit after hit as far as the music goes. The story, what amazes me every time is that, yes, it is amazing that she was able to look past his exterior and see what's underneath. And it's just as much about the beast learning to love himself and having the capacity to love Belle. So there's a lot more character work here than anything else because when you strip it all away without the character arcs the story is actually very simple mm. there's not much going on we i mean we didn't really even spend a lot of time on plot just because it's a great back and forth between the castle and the town but everything is in service of pushing the story forward and you know they do it so well because it is just that simple um but the characters add a depth that just put this movie over the top. They're they're so lovable. They have such strong arcs. Um, the animation is just absolutely brilliant. Character and otherwise, and the music. I mean, we've we've gone on and on about it. It's just absolutely brilliant, and I I can't say enough good things about this movie. It is one of my favorites. Uh, it's I'm giving this one a perfect. It's absolutely a perfect score. This is a perfect film for all of the reasons that you both have mentioned, and so I'm gonna actually do something I don't usually do and I'm going to save I'm going to save my breath on that because all I'm going to do is repeat what you said. I think that it's the best Disney animated film of all time. I also think I don't think that it's better than but I think it's one of the few because I've given a handful of films perfect marks, not a lot. In 166 movies, I don't even think I've given 10 of them perfect marks. I don't, I don't think so. We've definitely done five, but I don't think we've given 10 perfects out yet. You and I are at least one different because... Or actually, we might be the same. I think you gave per Coco a perfect score. I didn't. I gave Tangled a perfect score. You didn't. You didn't? Is it because Adina didn't get the part? I... <laughs> <laughs> is that what is that what that's about? <laughs> One would think. Uh, I I love Tangled. I just didn't think it was like perfect, perfect. But uh, I had some issues with Mother Gothel. Oh, she's fantastic. And her but... popping in. No, she's great. She's great. It's just I, I, there was the weird back and forth with Rapunzel that I wasn't loving. You can go back and listen to our episode to hear what Jackie has to say about it. But my point is, while I don't think it's better than, I think it's of all of the movies I've given perfect scores to. It's the only one that could actually challenge Mary Poppins as the greatest Disney film of all time. I don't think it's better, but it is pretty damn close. We've also given perfects to Jason Siegel's Muppets, Toy Story. Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. And Aladdin. Yeah. So this is in, I mean, really good company, but I think are there movies in that bunch that I enjoy more? Yes. Is this the better film? 
Also, yes. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for graphic design media kits, if you're hosting an event, you need invitations, save the dates, table numbers, or if you're just looking for that Disney home decor. Holiday cards. They... Uh, the, the cards, the mugs. She's a Gertie card. You're not going to find that anywhere. Kelly has you covered. Her work is spectacular. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything she has to offer at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. News of the week. I am very interested Yay. in getting Christina's take on this um, because we have not been shy about voicing our opinion about a certain CEO of a certain company. Bob Chapik, it hurts me to even say his name, has been pulled off of the D23 event coming to Walt Disney World. Now, look, there's a reason why he is not being put in front of Disney fans right now. He he didn't he wasn't at the rededication of the parks during the 50th. Every anything that he's done right now really has been pre-recorded. There's obviously a reason for that. It, you know, when you when you're when you're you're coming out of it out of an era where you have Bob Iger and the three of us have met Bob Iger. He's a spectacular person, but he was such a visionary, and he he's he's known, a lot of people have said, he's known for the era of acquisitions, but they've also done incredible things with the parks. Yeah. They've done incredible things with Disney+. Plus. They've done incredible things just in cinema in general. He came off of Michael Eisner. Eisner's last couple of years with Disney were nothing to write home about, but the th- the sad re- the sad reality with Michael Eisner is that people cl- like cling to the last four or five years that he ran the company, mm-hmm. and they forget about the first fifteen years that he ran the it company, and also that yeah. he saved the company a hundred and ten percent. So to go from an Eisner, and you can even go back to Ron Miller and Walt, Disney, you, you can go even further back in Roy, but I'm just talking about in our lifetime to go from Michael Eisner to Bob Iger to this guy. There's like. Bob Iger and Michael Eisner could walk into any room with any Disney fans and be fawned upon. This guy can't even talk at one of the signature events. That's a problem. So I was at Disney World for the 50th. I was lucky enough to do the press party the night before where you had just press and cast members that were working with the press. Right. He comes out on stage, and every time he talked, it was pretty unanimous. There was a groan from cast members, from press Nobody seemed to like him. The next day I'm at the parks for the 50th, and I was there when fans were booing him. Now, if you're in this company and you see that the guy running this company, the face of the company is being booed, you just remove him from an event, 
doesn't that tell you about maybe you should remove him from i don't want anyone to lose their job but maybe he's not in the right position i'm just saying here's no it's not no i i think that you're You're, speaking for the majority here (laughs) here's the thing you have enormous shoes to fill right i mean walt ron miller michael eisner bob Iger, they've all done these larger than life things so already the cards are stacked against you do i expect you to outdo them no absolutely not do i expect you to be doing these cute little videos where mickey walks in and pies you in the face as you're coming out of your office no i don't expect that either but i do expect some kind of persona and some kind of comfort speaking in front of large groups of people and you just don't have it so I, I, I get why they pulled him. Believe me, I get why they pulled him. But it's not like he hasn't been doing this for a long time. He should be at least okay enough to speak in front of these crowds and certainly enough to, to do it on a video. And I, I feel like he just keeps bombing every single time. Well, so, I think people are, we're in his head now. I'm in your head, Bob. Good. We're in your head. Like, people we, keep are, going. Are we, though? I feel like it's not enough. I feel like we think we are, but I don't know if we are. Oh, I'm I'm ready to riot. I agree with you. I don't want to see anybody lose their job. I want to see everybody working because yeah. <laughs> if you listen to our trip recap episode, we people need, need cast to go to members. Work. Yeah. Um, we need dedicated, not just anybody. We, we need like dedicated cast members. Let we me don't need let me employees. say employees. We need cast members. Bingo. Yes, and that's. That's the perfect way of put. It. He is an employee. He is a CEO. He is just a, a, a. I can't even call him a talking head because he can't yeah. even handle that. But he is not. He does not embody this company. He just no. doesn't. And we were very lucky. Bob Iger was probably the closest to Walt we'll get. And now I get it. He's coming off the tail of the pandemic. You have. There's a lot going on. You can only blame the pandemic for so much and the way you do business and not understanding the culture of this company. I'm sorry. For sure. Oh, don't be sorry. Yeah, Preach. I'm just... But we are interested in knowing <laughs> what you have to say about Bob Chapik pulling himself off because of a scheduling conflict. Bob Paycheck. Pulling himself off of the D23 event, you can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. You can also email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Of course, you can find us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm not calling it meta, by the way. TikTok at Monorail Radio. Email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. And for links to everything, it is online at monorailradio.com. Christina Kay, our dear friend, This is not the first time you've been on the show. It will certainly not be the last time that you will be on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And you could just, if you could let everyone know where you can be found. Well, thank you for having me. I've been waiting, what was it, like two years for this episode? It's been a minute. Um, So I do a lot of Disney stuff. I have Disney Day with Kay on YouTube. I go down there a lot. I mentioned broadcast, I think, earlier. I do work in radio. I work for Walk 97.5 afternoons. But I'm not going to plug all that. Just go to my Instagram, at the Christina K. And it's C-H for Christina and K-A-Y. And I got Disney stuff on there, like pop culture stuff. Yeah. We will be tagging her in all of our posts for Beauty and the Beast. So you can find her Instagram that way. Perfect. For sure. And thank you again for joining us. For Jackie, I'm Sean. And for tonight, Christina, have a magical week, everyone. 
On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.